Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. Hey, did you know my new book is out, Set It on Fire, The Art of Innovation? Head over to setitonfire.co to learn more. Well, my guest today is Ben Gutman. And Ben is a marketing communications expert. He is the author of Simply Put, Why Clear Messages Win and How to Design Them. I can't tell you, I'm super excited to talk about this. He's an experienced marketing executive and educator, and his mission is to help leaders be more effective with connecting the and simplifying their messages. So that's huge. I think you guys are going to get a ton out of this podcast today. Welcome, Ben. Thanks for having me, Natalie. It's great to be here. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about you and how you got to the point of writing this book. Give us just a little bit of your journey and background. Absolutely. So so my name is Ben Gutman. I live here in New York City. And years ago, when I was on the other part of town, I was at Baruch College as a student. Now I teach there. And, you know, first of all, I love teaching. It's one of my favorite things. Always recommend it. But when I was a student, I was the big like student government dork and I was hedged out doing all that type of stuff. Uh, I did spend a ton of time doing all the internships and stuff that you're supposed to do. Luckily, I had a professor who ran a marketing agency and came up to me one day and said, you know, I know you kind of want to start your own thing. Maybe we need some help with digital. Maybe we can figure something out. One thing leads to another. We end up driving my 1994 Honda Accord up out of the city every day and slapped our logo on the wall in their basement. And we had a company and we cut our teeth bit by bit doing things like working with the local ice cream shop or the local camera shop or, or these kind of, you know, fun, smaller businesses. And day by day, month by month, year by year, well, we started to grow a little bigger. We had some bigger clients. We hired some employees, got a bigger office, moved out of the basement. And the ne- next thing you know, is 10 years later, we've been working at the NFL and Comcast and I Love New York and all these really awesome brands. And then we decide that, well, we did this for this, the last 10 years. Do we want to do this for the next 10 years? And it was a good opportunity to sell the business. So we you know, exited the business about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And since then, I've been, been working. I've been doing a little bit of teaching. I've been doing some of the writing. I've been doing some consulting. And it's, it's, been, you know, it's been really fun to kind of experience things through these different lenses. Well, I love that. And I'd love for you in just a second to hold up your book. But you wrote a book called Simply Put. And my comment was, it's so beautiful and simple. Like when you, when you look at it, so take a moment and look at that. There we yeah, go. it's just so simple, which is nice because your whole thing is in, and kind of the premise of the book is that the, sim- the most simplified message wins, right? Like it's just when it's simple and it's easy, people can wrap their arms around it. So talk a little bit about what inspired you to put this information in a book after all your years and experience. Oh yeah, I mean, so again, the book's called Simply Put, Why Clear Messages Win and How to Design Them. It's, that's been a ton of fun to, to work on it. But the reason I wrote the book was because you can, I like the joke, but you can take the like boy out of the marketing agency, but it's hard to take the marketing out of the boy. It's one of those things that even after I'm not working with clients and overseeing a team on a day-to-day basis anymore, you're still experiencing the world as a consumer and you're still, I'm still teaching the stuff in the classroom. And I would see for this other lens, the same thing that clients would ask us all the time, which is, well, why do some messages work and others don't, right? How do I get people to care about the thing that I am making or selling or, or, 
or, you know, want people to vote for or donate to. How do I get people to care about that? And what's the difference between one's messages that work and messages that don't? So that's ultimately what drove the, what drove the, the writing of the book, the researching of the book. And it, it turns out, as you kind of mentioned, that the answer is simple. The, the messages that work, the ads that work, the emails that convert, the proposals that are successful are simple. And the ones that aren't, well, they're often complicated, right? And that's not particularly revelatory of an idea, right? That, that's something we've probably heard a million times. And I, I joke about this in the first page. I say, if, if that's enough for you, your message should be simple. Well, then don't read the other like 207 pages of the book, right? Like, it sounds like I didn't take my own advice. But the why of, of, the, the, of simple being effective uh, and the how of how we get there, those are surprisingly deep topics. And that's ultimately what I try to cover. So let's let's dig in on the why and the how, because I think that is the part that I'm really excited about of just what what's behind simplifying. Like when I think about people who make things simple, I think about Steve Jobs, right? Like he just everything that he produced, he made it simple for the average person. So there's got to be a little something to that. Yeah, certainly. So that so I, I've, I've quoted Steve Jobs a couple of times in the book. So the, the fundamental kind of science behind why simple is effective and why it's so hard to get there. Uh, it comes down to this idea of fluency. And the, we know the word fluency in our, in our daily day, in our day-to-day lives, right? You can be fluent in English or Spanish or Mandarin. You can be fluent in, in wine or cheese or whatever your inch, whatever uh, something comes easy when it's flowing, which is the root of the word, that's fluent. But if you ask a cognitive scientist about the word fluency, they're going to use that to describe something a little bit different, which is how easy is it for you to take something from out in the world, stick it in your head and make sense of it, right? Yeah. The easier that process is for you to read something, see something, hear something, to perceive it in general, to internalize it and understand it and to make action and take action upon it, the simpler something is, the more fluent something is. When you do that, it's associated with all sorts of positive things. You're more likely to like something, more likely to trust something, more likely to buy something if it's fluent. And then also the inverse is true too. So if it's not fluent, if it's complicated, if it takes a lot of work and kind of mental cycles to, to understand something, you don't like it, you don't buy it, you don't trust it, the stuff that you don't want. And so that's where, that's where we want to be. If you look at the other side of the communication equation, we have the senders and the receivers, right? The receivers want fluency. The senders when we're wearing that hat, if we're an advertiser or a leader, teacher, um, we often are pulled in the opposite direction. Internally, we have this additive bias, a complexity bias. We, we want to add more and more when we're faced with a problem. And then externally, lots of forces push us in that direction of saying, well, you want more lines in your resume. You want more, you know, stuff to feed, you know, to feed kind of the content machine on LinkedIn. You want more stuff, you know, you, you want evidence of your work to get a promotion. All of these things push you in the opposite direction. So that's where that, that gulf comes in, is that senders want something fluent, sorry, receivers want something fluent, and senders have a really hard time getting there. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, even as you're giving that example of the resume, I often think about how, you know, just hiring over the years, I do scoff when I get that like five to eight page resume. I'm like, what in the world? You couldn't say this in two pages? And I think it's, you know, I think it's that idea what you're saying of, of people can distill down. Yes, you have a lot of experience, but 
hopefully I can see enough of that in the resume to pick up the phone and call you and you tell me about it then versus trying to take your whole entire brain and work experience and put it into, you know, an eight page document, which no one's going to read. And even even more so, right, maybe even toss out because of the length of it. So I love that if that works in the resume world, that has to transfer over to marketing, to how we think about and interact with the world around us. So that's definitely, I'm taking that and trying to figure out how to apply it to other areas of my life right now. I'm like, okay, that, that concept really does make sense. Uh, I'm, I'm like old school, but I like to think just one page like that, that for me is if, you know, unless you're like doing like an academic CV or something, most people can probably tell their story kind of in one, on one side of things. But again, I'm not the hiring manager at, at most companies, so don't, don't take my word for it. The, the thing I like to argue a lot is that, or not, I mean, it's an argument, but this is a book that would live on the marketing shelf of a bookstore or the marketing category on Amazon. But it's, it's not just for marketers. I argue we're all marketers in many ways, right? If yeah. we are a manager, if we're, if we're a job applicant, we're a marketer. If we're a, a teacher or a faith leader or a parent, if we're an entrepreneur or an executive, if we're an advocate or a politician, all of us are marketers because we all have something that we want to kind of change in the world. We want to influence people's opinions or influence people's actions. Well, that's what this skill is. That's what the skill of marketing is. And that, that's, that's who I think of actually most often when I talk about the lessons in this book. Well, that's powerful because if we zoom out, we can all get much better at our communication. I know that this is an area I specifically focus on all the time and want to get better at and need to get better at, but we can all get better. And so, you know, I, I just sat through a couple of weeks ago a presentation where, again, even the level of which you're talking to someone, right? depending on who's in the room. And one of the things I noticed is this person's like giving this presentation and people in the room are like freaking out, They're like breaking out in hives, right? <laughs> because he's getting ready to make a big, big change. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is gonna blow up my entire world. And so even in our communication, not looking at it through our lens, hey, I'm here to deliver technical information on this topic, but looking at it through their lens. Oh my goodness, they've ran this process for, 15 years, and now I'm going to change it. What must they be feeling right now? And hitting them with, you know, kind of acknowledging what they're feeling first before I get into all the technical detail. And do they even need the technical detail? That's the other question, right? Like, are you know, do people's eyes roll in the back of their head when we start talking about things that they just can't connect with? So I think there's a beauty in even executive communication to how do we bring this message of, of simplicity and just being simply put right with what we're talking about to the table, I think it can kind of traverse, like you're saying, into even how we show up in a room. Yeah. And I, I think what you're, what you're mentioning is 100% true. And that that matches up with the idea of empathy, which I talk about in the book uh, a lot. So you know, are, you, are you meeting your audience where they are, right? Are you speaking in their language? That's often, you know, an easily overlooked piece of it. And so that's one of the five design principles. I don't call it like, a, it's not a toolbox or, oh, it's kind of a toolbox. It's not, it's not a check by, it's not a checklist. It's not a step-by-step -step plan, but there's, there's kind of five design principles I've identified that will help you, help you get there in terms of your executive communication, in terms of your marketing, in terms of whatever, in terms of getting simple. Cause that's the hard part is how do we kind of bridge that gap? Receivers aren't going anywhere. How do you bring the senders closer to the receivers and, and make us all, you know, more effective communicators? Yeah. 
Exactly. What would you say are are like some of the things people make mistakes on in their communication? Like where where do we fall down constantly? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And so I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll give you the other ones. Then I'm going to go back to the one that I think that okay. is the one people really screw up on. So yeah. Uh, the first one, the first principle is beneficial. Is your message beneficial? Mm-hmm. What does it matter to the receiver? You know, these are fe- features versus benefits, right? We don't want the thing, but what the thing does for us. Yeah. Focused is the second one. Are you trying to say one thing or multiple things at once? Is this one idea or three ideas in a trench coat? And then the third one is salience. Does your message stand out from the noise? Does it zig when others zag? Is there contrast? Does it rise to your attention? The fourth is empathetic, which I just spoke about. Are you meeting them where they are? And then the fifth one is minimal. Have you cut out everything that you don't need and left only what there is? Right. And so to answer your question about what's the one that I think people screw up the most, it's the one that I think is actually, you know, the first among equals here, which is beneficial. Hmm. Um, you have to speak in terms, if you want to get people to be motivated to do something, to be motivated to, to change their opinion or to buy your widget or whatever it is, you have to talk about benefits. <laughs> this is like sales 101 stuff. Have you ever worked in a, in a direct sales environment? You, you've encountered this. And, and this is something that I, I tell my students now. And I tell them, if you forget everything else that you ever learned in this class or the entire degree, and you just remember this one sentence, you're going to be ahead of everybody else. And it's not even my sentence. It's from Theodore Levitt, who's a a Harvard professor from the 60s. He said, people don't want a quarter-inch drill. They want a quarter-inch hole. Mm -hmm. People don't want a quarter-inch drill. They want a quarter-inch hole. They don't want the thing. They want what the thing does for them. Yeah. They, they want how their life is better for it. And you can, you can take this a few more levels here, but the, the people forget this all the time. We talk in terms of features in our marketing and everything else because features are very, very available to us. We open up our five senses. We can see, smell, taste, touch, hear our features. But we have to think a little bit about what, who our audience is, what problems they have, what motivations they have in terms of getting to the benefit. And so that ends up being the thing that if you get that wrong, everything else gets a lot harder. Yeah, that's so good. I, I, I feel like I need to put those tenants up every time I sit down to write a communication or write a presentation because those tenants really make it clear. And it goes right back into what you were talking about earlier with empathy, right? Really understanding your audience, understanding their needs. The last couple of episodes, we've talked about the Maslow hierarchy of needs. Like we've talked about how if someone's in survival mode, like you got to start there. You, you can't go up and talk to them about all these other topics when they're literally in survival mode, right? You've got to focus on what's helpful first before mm-hmm. you can move through the la- ladder. So I think that's important if you're communicating something that might be a big change you're trying to make or a journey you're trying to take someone on. You have to acknowledge the fact that, hey, it's hard and it's going to be messy and the the journey ahead may not be clear. Like, Almost kind of like you have to talk about the elephant in the room if you're going to have them listen to your communication. Oh, yeah. And if you if you want to talk about it for a third episode in a row, I, 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 I do mention Maslow's diagram of needs in the book. And, and that actually ties in directly with, with the benefits here. If you want a kind of easy exercise, I don't know if I call it easy, but I would say it's a simple, except the pun is there, exercise on how do we get from features to benefits? How do we get to arrange our our message in a way that people give a, give a hoot about. It's the answer is this really simple question, which is, so what? So what? Every time 
you, you look at a feature and you say, well, so what? And you can interrogate it and you can get down to the next level. And the secret is asking it three times. So let's look at a feature like uh, my favorite example is mint flavor on your toothpaste. <laughs> okay. That's a feature, right? You can taste it. Your senses pick it up immediately. Okay. But that's not really what I want. So mint flavor. So what? Well, mint flavor. So what? Fresh breath. If I have mint flavor, I'm going to have fresh breath. Cool. That's we're getting there. That's the functional benefit. That's the first level of this. And that's part of the reason why we want mint flavor in a toothpaste, but that's not actually the real reason. So let's say, okay, this toothpaste has mint flavor. So what it gives you fresh breath? So what? Well, if it gives me fresh breath, that means I'm going to have a more successful date tonight. Okay. Well, now we're getting somewhere, right? That's the emotional benefit. That's the second layer down. And so you go from the emotional benefit to the functional benefit of the feature. But if you want to go another layer down, that's actually going to get us to what really is driving us, which is one of those Maslow's, you know, Maslow's needs. Mm-hmm. And so you say, well, so what about having a successful date? Well, that means maybe it's the love and belonging need that I have, right? Or it's the physiological need that I have. Those things are going to be met by me having a more successful date because I have fresher breath, because I have the mint flavor in my toothpaste. So you were able to all of a sudden arrange, we're able to get from something very superficial to something very meaningful by just asking the question, so what, three times. And then we can turn around and say, okay, let's build the message back up. The motivation starts to put us in the right direction here. Where should we be? The emotional benefit becomes your headline, becomes your hook, becomes the thing that's, that's in, you know, 90 point Helvetica on your website. The functional benefit becomes a subheadline, becomes the next thing that you say in your pitch. And then eventually you get to the features. Eventually you say that there is the, you know, there's this many, you know, grams of, of fluoride or whatever it is going to be in the tube. And so that way, it, when we met, we structure our message in that kind of, you know, bottom up hierarchy, well, we're going to end up matching with what the motivations are of our audience much more closely than if we just go out and say, buy our toothpaste because that's fresh breath. No, because you have the uh, mint flavor. Yep. I love it. I love the way that you broke that down because I think it makes it more approachable for us to understand that a lot of times we're asking the question one time and then we're just going with whatever that it says and we're not actually getting to the felt need that the person has. And it's really the felt need. It's the emotions. Whether we like it or not, we buy on emotions and when we buy based yeah. off of that emotional feeling and what what that's creating in us. And so what I love about this is you're getting now below the surface. Yes, Maslow's hierarchy of needs using that that framework because it's it works and makes sense to really get to the root of the challenge there, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I I, I think this is, you know, I, I like to say that these this is not a checklist. This is not a step by step. But I think this is probably the most important piece of it. If you don't get this right, doesn't matter how salient you are. It doesn't matter how minimal you are because you're saying the wrong thing. Yeah, that's so powerful. Well, okay. So let's let's zoom out a little bit. I want to ask the question. Got to ask the question. How does AI affect all this? Because more and more we're seeing people outsource their communications. And I'm I'm going to be honest. I've used AI. I don't know that AI could get to the the deep seated need behind the need. So what are your thoughts there? <laughs> so I I have pretty non-simple thoughts on AI, a relatively complicated view of it. Number one is that I I think it's a neutral technology to begin with. I think that it can do some good. It ultimately will probably do lots of good, but it will also, it's going to feature, 
you know, all sorts of speed bumps along the way with copyright infringement and, you know, and, you know, giving bad information and this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm not out here reflexively saying, you know, no, don't use it. It's not great. The second thing is I think AI, generative AI, as we have it right now, is not very good about creating things from scratch in terms mm-hmm. of, in terms of language or in terms of copy or, or something right. like that. It is very good about helping you edit your work. It's very good about giving you variations off of things that you, you put into it. It's terrible for doing research. It's the worst at that, to be honest right now, because it just hallucinates things that, that don't really exist. And so, you know, if you use it in a way which you say, hey, I have this paragraph that I wrote, but I need it to be half as long. I need to do it, but I'm a really hard time cutting the words out. It will do it for you in five seconds and it will yeah. be pretty damn good, right? Yeah. So that is, that is 100% true. And then the other thing that I think is interesting, this is more just kind of an aside. Yeah, I have a friend who I was, he's, he's written books and has a podcast and I was on his show. And he said, I took the lessons from your book and I wrote a little like script for the, for ChatGPT and said, use this to improve my email copy that I have. And he tested the original one and then the kind of simply put version. And the simply put version got 40% more open rate, right? Wow. Or so or click rate or whatever. Yeah. It was, it was so I was I was very flattered to see that. That was very cool. So I think it's really good when you're looking for did you give it specific instructions? You're looking for things like that. I don't think it's going to replace most of what we do in communications. I think it can help us. And I think that it's actually the the last piece of this kind of multifaceted view of it is that marketing. So marketing is the industry where this is going to happen the most, the quickest, because we just produce reams of content and stuff. Yeah. But I think that's also going to make messaging harder in many ways, because right now the average uh, American spends 13 hours a day consuming media. That's a ton of stuff to blast it out of brain. And so simple, I argue, especially in the salience, is about standing out from the noise. There's just a lot more noise right now. And I think that if anything, that makes this type of this type of framework much more urgent. That's a that's a really very thoughtfully put just take on AI. And I appreciate you taking the time to break that down for us because it's it's very thoughtful. I think that a lot of a lot of what you surmise there is is real and true. So tell people where they can find and follow you. And where can they get your book? I appreciate that. Yeah, the AI stuff is is fascinating right now. So yeah, I thank you for having me on the show. It's been a ton of fun. Uh, the uh, the book is called Simply Put, Why Clear Messages Win and How to Design Them. Get it wherever books are sold. But if you want, go to bengutman.com. It's not a good name for radio. It's two T's and two N's. And you got to do both of them. And you'll find uh, a free chapter download there. You can go grab that. You can also sign up for my email list. I send out an email every Tuesday. And then lastly, if you want to get in touch, connect with me on LinkedIn, send me an email. I'd love to hear from you about how the book has been helpful or how I could be helpful. And I just want to add, I want to put a plug in here. It's also on Audible, which is normally, I have the best of intentions when I buy books and, and really only listen when they're on Audible. So you can actually get this on Audible right now as well. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was a joy to talk to you. Thanks, Natalie. It's been a ton of fun. Well, to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership. And visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Hey, my new book is out, Set It on Fire, The Art of Innovation. Click on the link to learn more. And don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something.